Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Thank you for listening to this month's edition of Kicking the Karaoke with me, Elena. And me, Sid. Thanks to everyone who listened to Beauty. It was a kick-ass episode! It was so much fun to record and edit, so a big shout-out to our guests Ray, Ashton and Barbara last month. I've got some feedback. Juliet said that she really liked hearing it from the people directly as opposed to just thinking about it broadly, and that's exactly what we wanted this podcast to be about. I also have some feedback. Um, Darren got in contact and said that he really loved the personal stories last month, but maybe would have liked, I don't know, to hear more of a discussion on how women, I guess, have been manipulated by society to see each other as competition and then in turn how this affects advertising targeted to men. It's also been noted to us that we swear too much. Fuck that! We think this is part of society trying to police women's language so that we sound more fucking ladylike. Hashtag sorry not sorry. (laughs) But... In all seriousness, though, we are talking extremely difficult topics and these topics can make people pretty angry. Some of our guests, they've been censored and oppressed enough by society and we're just not going to contribute to that. There's an E for explicit on this podcast for a reason, mate. So having said that, if you do want to get in contact, give us some feedback. You can suggest a topic, put yourself forward, nominate a friend, say hi, tell us what you think. Visit our website at www.kickingthekairiarchy.org. You can find us on Twitter at kickkairiarchy. Email kickingthekairiarchy at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Facebook by typing in kickingthekairiarchy. So after totally smashing beauty out of the patriarchal park, we're going to be talking all things non-binary and pronouns this week. So glossary time. When we're talking about trans, we're using that as an umbrella term to encompass transgender, transsexual and non-binary gender identity. Non-binary is also within that an umbrella term in itself. Some people prefer to use the word genderqueer and some people, their gender identity fluctuates, so they prefer to refer to themselves as gender fluid. Essentially, gender identity is a spectrum. It's also worth noting that sexual orientation is who you're attracted to and it has no bearing on your gender identity. What also has no bearing on your gender identity is your biological sex. Now that is assigned to you at birth on the basis of your primary sex characteristics. Basically your genitalia and you're assigned either male or female. So we thought it'd be a really good idea this week to kind of root this into some popular culture by by telling you guys some famous people who identify as non-binary. So first up, we've got the incredibly talented and very hot Ruby Rose, who has said that they feel very gender fluid and gender neutral. Eddie Izzard says that they identify as somewhat boyish and somewhat girlish. And Jack Monroe, who is the famous food blogger, identifies as non-binary. As does 
Brothers, Oli Alexander, who's the lead singer of Years and Years. That's enough from us two. Let's hear it from the people ourselves. Meet our guests. Be our guest, be our guest. Put our service <laughs> to the test. <laughs> I'm Pooch and I'm a non-binary queer. So when did you realise that you were non-binary? So non-binary is a concept I didn't really learn about until quite late so you know as a as a kid growing up I was always like I was a tomboy or you know I always wanted to play with the toys that generally you know boys were supposed to play with not girls and all that kind of stuff and it wasn't until I, I think in 2012 and I went to this kind of LGBT club community event and somebody asked me what pronoun I use and I was like <laughs> I get a choice that's ridiculous no one's ever told me that I could have a choice like you know um and I think it was from that point I started asking questions and I started me- meeting people who you know like I'd be like oh what pronoun do you use and they're like oh they I'm like this is great um so I think that's probably when I started going well actually that makes a lot more sense to me because I haven't growing up felt like I was a woman but then also at the same time I was a, a man necessarily either so it's it's nice it's nice to have a middle ground and I'm like okay I'm, I'm comfortable with it. this is where I'm at and I'm happy with that so is there a point in your life when you realized that you were like I don't identify as a woman or a man when we'd play games in the playground and stuff like that I didn't want to be the girl character right I wanted to be more the boy character and you know people would be like oh you can't do that and then growing up like it was it was tricky because I wasn't I didn't really socialize with a lot of LGBT people it wasn't again it wasn't until like around 2012 and all these people and they exist and you know this is something that is a legitimate option do you think you would have recognized that you identified as non-binary if you hadn't come across this community don't know I don't think so. What's interesting is that coming across the community has opened my eyes. It's taught me not to make assumptions as well. Like now I will generally refer to people with they pronouns until I'm I'm told or until I explicitly ask them. Would you be offended if someone misgendered you? Yes, if it's people that I have explicitly told. At the moment what's happening is that I'm coming out as non-binary at work and with friends and other groups that aren't necessarily in the LGBT community. So with them, obviously there's a there's a a moment and it's you know it's adapting to it and I find that once I've told them if they make a mistake and they don't apologize that's really starting to bug me when people are asked to use gender neutral pronouns and they just say oh why or like oh I don't get it or oh why can't you just choose don't question their pronoun do I if somebody asks you to refer to them in a certain way just do it like it doesn't make a difference to you it makes no difference to your life that I've asked you to refer to me as they like it has no impact on it at all and I just think it's a bit lazy when you say something to, to people and they don't understand but they're not willing to learn either so you'll try and explain it to them and they'll still continue to to refer to you with the wrong pronoun or what's the difference been between coming out with your colleagues at work and coming out to your friends well, for a start, my friends have known me for a lot longer. You know, we've been through a lot of changes and stuff together. And when I'm talking about different LGBT things to them, then they're always quite receptive. They understand because they know it's important to me and therefore it's now important to them. And they've been great, you know, and, and there, there were a couple that maybe didn't quite get it at first. But, you know, they asked questions about it and we talked about it. It's really sweet. Actually, one of my friends was like, oh, I was filling in this form and the drop down had Mr and Mrs and Ms. And I thought to myself, which one of these will Pooge use? That's really sweet. And like, you get it. When you're bringing this to me and you're talking to me about it. it with the colleagues, it's been a, a little trickier, I think, because I've, I've tried broaching it. And what I'm finding is that they're not really receptive to it at the moment. And it might be that I haven't pushed it enough. 
and I haven't really been calling them out, usually because if they misgender me, they do it in a room full of people. And as the sole person in that room at that time, I feel a bit uncomfortable going, ah, actually, you got that wrong. And what happens is like it's like a ripple effect. One person does it and then the next person does it. Is this because you think your colleagues might feel uncomfortable calling each other out or correcting each other? Yeah, I think because they've never really had to do it before. Like, obviously, there are some allies. You know, they're very good at, like, if somebody misgenders me, they'll repeat it back to them, but they'll say they instead of her or she or, you know, and that sometimes works. And sometimes there's this little kind of, oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah. You know, and then you carry on. But, yeah, what I'm finding at the moment is that people aren't, they're just not recognising it. They're not apologising for it either. It's part of the tricky thing is that by the very nature of someone referring to you and using a pronoun is that they're not actually talking to you directly. Yeah. What I have found, actually, in some circumstances is that people have been using my name a lot more. Like, I hear my name all the time now. At first, at work, people were using my name more than they were using a pronoun. And I was like, OK, well, I can deal with that. And I know you're definitely talking to me. <laughs> you're avoiding any kind of mistake. And they're like, oh, that's Pooja over there. Yeah, she's doing this thing. It's like, oh, come on. You're so, <laughs> you're so close. What are toilets like for you? Awful. I'm lucky enough that I've got gender-neutral toilets at work, and that has made my life infinitely easier. And in fact, when you go to some venues, they'll make an effort to have a gender-neutral toilet, either a permanent one or, you know, sometimes they'll take over the disabled toilet, which I don't necessarily agree with because then you're taking the toilet away from one group of people that needs it to give it to another group and both feel undervalued I think but generally going to the toilet is a nightmare I will never wear a coat or a jacket to go to the loo because I feel like I'm covering myself up and I pre- you know I present in a quite masculine slash androgynous kind of way so I can't go to the men's toilets because I'm never sure if there'll be a cubicle and I'm not sure if I'll pass and if I go to the women's toilets, I get looked at and told that I'm in the wrong toilet. Well, you know, you do know, you realise that this is the ladies. Well, yes, I can, I can see the sign on the door quite clearly. I wouldn't be here if I didn't know that. So, yeah, it's, it's incredibly problematic. It got to a point where at one point I wouldn't go to the toilet without a friend. Wow. Because at least there'll be somebody and hopefully a femme presenting friend as well. That's just like an everyday thing that I, as a cisgendered person, don't ever experience. I never experience this internal battle of... But that's the thing. It's not just trans non-binary people. Like, like cisgender people get it as well. I know loads of people that identify as like butch lesbians and because they present in a more masculine way they get the same questions as well they're not non-binary they're not trans they still get told they're in the wrong bathroom it's like come on I literally want to pee wash my hands and leave it almost seems like we should just get rid of the signs I mean that's that's one option I think that there should be men's toilets and there should be women's toilets but there should also be a gender neutral option because you know okay fine some people don't feel comfortable with that and okay you don't feel comfortable with it try just try and understand how it feels for me to come into a place where I don't feel comfortable to do something that everybody needs to do all the time. It's like you've got gender neutral toilets in your house. Yeah. Get over it. So true. <laughs> I should probably clarify that you're how old are you? 32. Why come out as non-binary now? Because I can. Because I want to. It's the only real option that I feel comfortable with. When people refer to me with they, it, I'm just like, oh, well, that's nice. They're oh. talking about me. That's great. And it just, you know, it's a tiny little change, but it's made me a lot happier. It's made me feel a lot more comfortable. And I don't I feel as uncomfortable in my body. What has the difference been between coming out as a lesbian when you were a teenager to your family and, and in school and now coming out as a non-binary person? And what does that mean for the way that you identify your sexual orientation? Times have changed a lot since I came out. When I came out, there was nobody like me at school. I was one of the only Asians and clearly a, a tomboy or a masculine presenting person. 
I came out when I was 14 and my friends were quite good about it but within a school environment maybe a couple of the teachers were welcoming or helpful the rest of them sent me off to counselling where I got told it was a phase and when something like that happens to you at a young age you're like that's traumatising yeah it's like well what am I going to do now times were a lot different and people were less educated people didn't know how to handle it people didn't know what the best way to talk to me they just wanted to help me not be that way anymore just so we could go back to a regular quiet normal little town life I think um so coming out as non-binary has been has been a breeze in comparison because, you know, there's this whole community that I'm part of that I can speak to about it and they've actually helped me realise that this is what I am and that's great and I've got the support that I need. If I do need to talk to anybody about it, they're not going to send me off to a counsellor to tell me that it's a phase. They're like, cool, let's go with it. And I can change my mind. So I'm non-binary now. I mean, there's nothing to say in 10 years' time I won't actually want to maybe transition or use male pronouns or, or you know, go back to using female, but... that's my choice right so yeah the difference has been huge there's still a lot of work that needs to be done in the wider community but with regards to the effect it's had on my sexual orientation what I find now is that it's kind of by erasure like people don't acknowledge it as far as they're concerned I'm a lesbian that's it I'm like well actually that's not really true for a start I'm non-binary so no and also I'm not just attracted to, to women it just seems to get glossed over so does your gender identity intersect with your sexuality then Sure. If you don't identify as male or female, then how can you say that you're a lesbian necessarily or I can't say that I'm a gay guy? When did you start presenting more masculine? I remember being able to wear trousers for the first time at school. Suddenly going school uniform shopping was the best thing that had ever happened. I cut all my hair off, got a really short haircut, and people used to think I was a boy. And it used to make me feel a little bit uncomfortable, but at the same time I was like, oh, actually, it's kind of cool. Like just today, actually, I went to get a bottle of water and the person in the shop called me sir. Does that happen a lot, that people misgender you in terms of like front of house, customer service thing? Yes, on both spectrums though. I'm Sean, I am a 22-year-old master's student at the University of Kent and I'm a white, mentally disabled, genderqueer, punk person. When did you first become aware of gender? I think I started first thinking about gender actively uh, in the way that people normally talk about gender politically, probably at about 15, 16. But gender as a thing for me has always been a significant part of my life because I exist in the world. So when you go to school, everything is pretty gendered anyway. When you're born, you're a little boy, you've got loads of blue. Do you remember at school, they used to sit us on tables and boys and girls, and that made me uncomfortable from about the age of eight, but I couldn't tell you why. So that's quite a young age. You weren't in a group of people who were all suddenly questioning their gender, and then that made you think you were questioning your gender. It was something that you came to your own conclusion. I would definitely agree with that, yeah. I wasn't in a group of people who were questioning their gender, but I was in a group of people who were validating and having their gender validated, and they're called children. And basically, when you go to school, as everyone does, I think you do just fall into these kind of set types, like the girls would do their hair and the boys would play football, and I always wanted to do people's hair and play football. And obviously there were girls that played football and there were boys that wanted to do people's hair, and that's all great and fine. But I think what's interesting about that phenomenon is that people are praised for doing one or the other and I was always not praised for wanting to hang out with the girls and do people's hair and I was always praised for wanting to play football. And I can remember a very specific occasion when a a dinner lady called me a Nancy boy for doing a girl's hair Mm. um, and just trying to learn how to braid and I still didn't know how to braid because I was so put off with that. But it was really interesting for me and it felt really derogatory and I couldn't explain why at the time because I didn't know what a Nancy boy meant and obviously it means a queer person, specifically normally a gay man. 
that it was interesting because as children they're trying to find out what they like and just what their personality is and people will do different things and enjoy different things and it's not the kids choices that really matter it's how they're praised and validated for that and that was just always a part of my childhood not at home because my mum is fucking amazing but in the real world outside of the home which isn't so protected so what was it like when you were a teenager because you talked about when you were younger what about when you were thinking about a bit more politically and starting to find the words to explain or express yourself I guess this sounds like a lot of queer people say this, but I've always felt very strange and out of place. And then when I was about 12 or 13, I think I discovered what a gay person was and was like, oh, wow, this is different. And then when I was about 14, 15, I had this realisation that I didn't have the attraction that most people had. I wasn't attracted primarily to women and therefore thought for a long time that I was gay. And then when I was about 15, 16, I hit puberty really, really hard. And that's when a lot of things started to develop for me. I used to feel really uncomfortable about growing physically, especially around like my shoulders um, and my waist. I think I was uncomfortable with becoming what society would see as a man and I didn't like all the labels people were putting on me. I didn't like the expectations made of me because I didn't fit into them and so a lot of the time I felt like because I didn't live up to the expectations that people gave me, I was being shunned or insulted for the choices that I had made and what my personality was because a lot of my personality didn't really fit into binary gender and a lot of this comes from school because school is one of those places which is very normative and people are trying to fit in and they making social circles and trying to become popular and it's not popular to not be normal and be the weird kid because kids like to pick on each other. It was only in the really since I got to uni that I started to understand more about gender and my own gender and that's when I started identifying as genderqueer. I thought I was gay for a long time and now I've just used the word queer in general for my sexuality and genderqueer for my gender identity. So what does queer mean then? That's a good question. (laughs) I think the reason I use queer is because it doesn't have a set meaning. And I think within society, it's interesting how we have straight and we have gay and people think that gay is like the alternative or the different. But often gay identity is just as policed or just as constricted as straight identity is because you have, you know, straight people like this, apparently, and then gay people apparently like the opposite. You know, straight men are masculine and gay men are seen as feminine. And I think queer is about standing outside of that and really like radically challenging that. That's why I use the word genderqueer, because I don't identify as a man or what society would class as a man and I don't identify as a woman or what society would class as a woman so there's this grey space in between which I see as queer and troubling and disruptive and non-normative and that's why I use the word queer because it doesn't have a set meaning and it can change and it's very moldable and very different and my queer is very different from another person's queer and the reason I use the word queer for my sexuality is because sexuality is actually a reciprocal construct and that sounds like really big and fancy but it's not basically what it means is that if you're If you say you're straight, that means that you are one gender and that you're attracted to supposedly the opposite gender. And if you say you're gay, that means you're a man who's attracted to a man. So when I say I don't identify with being a man or a woman, where does that leave me? And therefore, how can I say I'm gay? Because if I don't identify as a man, but I'm attracted to men or masculine presenting people, then that doesn't make me gay. So I just use the word queer. You said that at first you began to identify as gay when you were young. And then you talked about gay being seen as effeminate compared to the straight man. But within the gay man community, there's a whole set of, I don't know if tribes is the right word, but like typecasts. How does that feel navigating that? Most of my friends who identify as men are gay. 
And so I go out on the gay scene a lot because I prefer going to those spaces because they are just more open. They're not open enough for me, but they are more open than going out to what would be classed like a normal club. So I go to those spaces because I find them more liberating. But it is difficult because you feel like, oh, you know, I'm not going to be judged by normal society standards or basically straight society standards. And this isn't saying that all straight people do this. It's just that straightness is pervasive and culturally ingrained in our society and therefore it affects everything you do. But you'd think if you went to a different space, then maybe things would be more open. But actually, people can just be just as constrictive. And I think the reason people do that is because when you're constantly put into a box or told that you're different, it helps you to then put other people into boxes to make yourself feel validated. Because people like to feel like they're standing on concrete, not on sand. And telling yourself, well, I'm gay, but I'm this kind of gay man, can make you feel a lot better about yourself and can make you feel a lot stronger. And I think that's fair enough, and I understand why people do that. But it's difficult when people try and put labels onto you that you don't agree with or you reject so i mean there's so many of these labels it's ridiculous like twink cub otter and these are all interesting but what troubles me is that a lot of them are based on body type and people read personality into that so if you're a cub which is a young stockier hairier gay man that's often associated with masculinity and if you're a twink which is a young slighter gay man that's often associated with femininity but really what people are doing is reading personality into body type which is basically ridiculous so it does trouble me because i don't like having people read my identity through my body type or through how i choose to present myself so it's tricky both in the world out there that's really straight and heteronormative and then it's also tricky it's basically tricky everywhere it's very tricky on dating apps as well because it's like are you a man or a woman and you're like okay i'll just go with man today because i know what they mean and you just feel like identity is being constantly constricted and that makes me very uncomfortable because I don't feel either of those things it's really weird because like when you have to pick if you're a man or a woman you're like I literally have two choices people are always like why can't you just choose why can't you just pick why can't you just decide which one you are and you're like if I was like do you want a tomato or a pineapple for dinner and people were like well I don't like either and I was like why can't you just choose then people would be like you're being ridiculous there must be other choices out there you know I might want to buy a chocolate or some chicken and I don't feel like a pineapple or a tomato <laughs> so I kind of just want something else or I want to be someone else so have you ever been misgendered then? Misgendering for me is very difficult. I think for me personally, being genderqueer and not using set pronouns, I don't mind if people refer to me as he, she or they. Most people prefer to refer to me as he. I think it's because it's easier for them, but I wouldn't be upset if anyone referred to me as she or they. And I know that other people would, and that's because they identify differently, and I'm not speaking on behalf of everyone who's non-binary or trans here. But it's interesting for me because, for example, today if I described what I'm wearing, I look very punk and what is associated with traditional punk and masculinity. I'm wearing tartan trousers and a black top and I have my ears pierced and a denim jacket. But a lot of the time I go out, or I used to go out a lot more when I was younger and I don't anymore because it's difficult. I used to go out in almost exclusively women's clothing. But between the ages of 16 and 18, I was obsessed with wearing see-through shirts, nipple tape, skirts or trousers. And for me, that's on the end of femininity. That's on the extreme end of femininity for me. But it's interesting because it's hard to misgender someone who doesn't identify with gender. So does that annoy you that you don't have a pronoun to attach yourself to it used to annoy me i used to be very frustrated and i would find myself thinking what am i what am i what am i and then one day i was like i'm sean i'm a human being and i enjoy who i am and so for me it's like i don't really mind not having a pronoun and i don't mind being called any pronoun which is very difficult for a lot of people and it's not just in the circles that people would imagine it 
a lot of people struggle with this. So in a lot of actually radically political circles, people find it difficult to deal with people who are non or alternately gendered because it really disrupts kind of binary ideas of politics. So there's a lot of women-only spaces and I completely agree with those and I think they're absolutely great. But there aren't a lot of spaces for people who aren't women and who aren't men and who are differently gendered. So where do you really fit in? I would never go into a woman-only space because I don't identify as a woman. But then there's not a lot of space for me to discuss being non-binary. Big up women-only spaces, though, they're great. (laughs) (laughs) So how does it affect you in your everyday life, identifying as non-binary? Is it as simple as you don't know what toilet to use? Or Uh, does it go deeper than that? Oh, this is so hard to explain, I think. I think because it's such a random thing and there's not really that much information about it at the moment out there and it's quite a different way of identifying so toilets for me i now use non-gendered toilets if they're around or i tend to use whichever toilet i'm gendering as that day but toilets for me i used to use disabled toilets a lot because using men's toilets used to give me a panic attack because i associated toilets with being abused for a while because for a long period if i was dressed up alternately gendered or playing with gender through makeup dresses things like that and i used a male toilet or a man's toilet i would be kind of shouted at or abused or comments would be made about me and so i stopped going into them because it became really difficult for me so then i started using disabled toilets because my anxiety was so extreme around using the toilet that it became disabling for me it was a real struggle for me. I was like, do I use these toilets or do I not? But ultimately, my mental health disorder, which is a disability, was stopping me from using male or man's toilets. And I use the word male because that's what a lot of toilets, people believe toilets to be. Actually, they put it on sex rather than gender, which I think is stupid. And then I had a lot of issues around that because I was like, I don't physically need to use this toilet, but literally I can't go into a toilet. And if I'm in there, I find it really hard to just have a wee, basically, because I was so panicked. And then I basically talked myself out of that. And now I tend to use whichever toilets I'm gendering as that day. So has all of this had an effect on what clothes you choose to wear in the morning? I think it's important to recognise my own privilege within the non-binary community because for about a year now, I've had a certain degree of cis presenting privilege in that I look like the gender that is typically associated with my sex. I'm born male and I look very masculine and therefore I don't get a lot of abuse lately. But that's because I stopped dressing so femininely and so alternately gendered and presenting my gender as I would like to a lot of days because I was tired of the abuse. I was really tired of being shouted at, sometimes being like physically attacked or having quite aggressive sexual comments made about me which are quite scary as well and I think for me it also has a class thing to do with it because at the moment I don't have a lot of money because I'm a student and working so I live off about 30 pounds a week so when I do get to new buy, buy new clothes a lot of the conversation I have in my own head is do you want to buy this really nice dress yes you do but do you want to pay to be abused? And that's the way I see it. So for about a year now, I haven't bought any traditionally women's clothing because I don't want to use the little money I have to walk down the street and be shouted at. I bought a dungaree dress about a year ago and a red lipstick and I left the house and a bunch of children, there's a trigger warning here, started shouting tranny at me and one of them threw something at me. I basically went home, cried, got changed, left the house in like a denim jacket and the children didn't even recognise me. So it has a lot to do with class at the moment. Does it affect you that you feel like you can't really channel what gender you're choosing to present as that day? It does make me a bit upset sometimes. Uh, does it? Yeah, you know, it does affect me. Um, I like to be like, no, nothing affects me. But it actually does. It makes me quite upset. It makes me quite frantic sometimes. And um, sometimes I'll go home and I'll just wear like a really long T-shirt as if it was a dress. What kinds of things do your friends do that makes them so supportive? 
they were just like fucking bosses basically so basically the the thing is is that like if they ever a question about my gender i'm very open i wouldn't mind anyone asking me anything that i know they're so particular and comfortable and comforting about the way they ask things. It makes me feel respected and actually understood. It makes me feel like someone actually cares about the way I see myself, which is so unusual for me that it just makes me feel like actually people do care. My friends have let me wear their makeup before, which is great because I don't buy makeup often because I don't wear it enough because of the reasons I've discussed. So being able to wear someone's makeup is so liberating. So how does this affect who you're attracted to i think people tend to lump gender and sexuality together but i think that is not a great thing to do because they're very different like your gender identity doesn't really affect your sexuality aside from the fact that if you identify as a man you're attracted to men you would say you're gay but that's a labeling issue more than who you're attracted to issue i think it's hard to describe intimacy and love and attraction through gender because the people i'm attracted to i'm attracted to them because of their gender expression and their beauty and their look and their personality not to do with my own so it doesn't really have an effect on who I'm attracted to it has an effect on I guess who they are I guess I'm more open to being attracted to people of different gender expressions and I have dated people of a wide a range of gender expressions but it doesn't affect my own attraction to them. Could you explain quickly the difference between sexual orientation and gender identity like if you were to put it in layman's terms? If you always say in really layman's terms, sexual attraction is who you think is fit and gender identity is who you think you are. Yeah, I think it's quite important to maybe point out how problematic it is to lump LGBT together because they're very different things. If you're a lesbian or if you're gay, that's very different to being trans or something like that, which is what that acronym does. It just lumps everything together and they're very different issues yeah and i get a lot of hate from people in the lgbt community as well the spaces i feel most included in are queer spaces and punk spaces Um, i mean still in some like more traditionally punk spaces being queer isn't a great thing but the people i find really inspiring are often to do with like punk music or alternate music or alternate scenes i draw a lot of inspiration from certain figures and those figures really help me to just feel like actually there are other people out there who are really fucking cool and radical. Do you think that you're so interested in the kind of punk culture because traditionally punk culture has always been a bit like gender bending and has always been a bit revolutionary in that kind of respect? Yeah, totally. I mean, my attraction to punk comes from a lot from my mum because she really is interested in punk as well, but it's so disruptive and angry and different and challenging and that's how I feel my gender works a lot of the time in the same way it's disruptive and it doesn't want to be kind of positioned in a certain way and I don't want to be pinned down I want to kind of rebel against what people are trying to put on me and a lot of the people in that scene are gender bending or gender queer or they have different genders I mean someone I find really inspiring is JD Sampson from the Tigra who are fucking great band and that person is so inspiring because they just completely own their identity no matter what labels try and people try and put on them and even just like i think it's pretty punk to like britney and stuff like that as well if you're like a young boy and you you love britney spears like that's pretty punk that's pretty challenging that's pretty out there people relate gender with toughness a lot of the time and men do this they're like oh, i'm really tough because i you know, I'm a man. It's like, do you know what's tougher is going out in a full face of makeup and a dress when you people think you look like a boy. 
that's tougher going down the street on your own wearing a dress and heels and almost being beating the shit out of that's tough and your gender identity doesn't really have anything to do with that it's who you are and people like the Spice Girls like people tend to theorise this a lot I read so many essays about like you know the Spice Girls and why they weren't great but actually as a young femme person in the playground hearing girl power was fucking radical it was like do you know what yeah girls can be powerful and for me that was just like I can be powerful as well because I don't identify with a certain gender fuck yeah have you ever spoken to your mum about your gender identity? No, we don't talk about stuff like that because my mum unconditionally loves me. She understands. She used to see me dressed up ridiculously and we don't talk about sexuality either because mum was just fucking cool, basically, so she wouldn't need to know. It's not like a, oh, mum, I'm this. She just wouldn't care. Do you know what I mean? She just loves me no matter what. Which is kind of almost like an idyllic society in that you shouldn't have to feel the need to come out at all in any way, shape or form because straight cisgendered people don't. Yeah, I mean, my mum, my mum just like built this complete fantasy playground for me as a child, and I think I still live in it a lot of the time. I think the way I express my gender and the way I express my feelings towards people is still very like idyllic and fairy tale. And I have a lot of like gratitude f- to my mum for like letting me explore who I wanted to be. Like, it sounds silly, but just buying a young person you think is a boy Barbie dolls is pretty fucking cool because it just means that you can just be who you want. What advice would you give to? I was going to say other non-binary people, but actually, how about other femme, young, born and assigned male? Just for the listeners, it's pretty weird because <laughs> my voice is really deep, so a lot of the time people don't associate with me if, you, if I'm disembodied like this with being feminine. But I'm really, really feminine most of the time most of the days I go out I'm very feminine or non-sexual as well like a lot of my gender identity has to be of a non-sexual object so I wear a lot of what is traditionally seen as children's clothing like dungarees or rain max because I don't want my gender identity necessarily to be a sexual thing I want it to be an expressive interesting thing you just got me thinking because I fucking love dungarees and stripy things and like smock things and anything Yeah. yeah I totally get that but I think gender is like constantly sexualized, which is like such a bizarre thing. Because it's like, well, why do I have to be sexualized all the time? Like the amount of people who like when I'm wearing yeah. a dress will go for me because I'm like a bit like more edgy. If you want to know about my sexuality, you're gonna have to shag me basically. It's not I don't even think it's fetishizing. I just think it's weird. Like when people like immediately explicitly sexualize gender. But it's like when you talk about beauty and like white women, they're just like you're just like naturally sexual objects. Not actually, do you know what I mean? But that's the way society sees. Totally. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that you're actively rebelling against the, the sexual femme-presenting yeah. side of things. My <laughs> nipple tape phase, which was just best, was um, not about being sexy. It was about being so aggressively, like taking on the tropes of sexuality so aggressively and throwing them back in your face that it was like a non-sexual thing. Because like, when someone is that aggressively presenting as like wearing leather and wearing like stuff like that it becomes like no actually this is just a farce and the advice I'd give to young femme people is that you're fucking cool and that like your everyday experiences are like so valid and what you're doing is radical what you're doing is you're going out there as a femme person and a lot of the time things that people like as femme people are seen as like tacky or invalidated because hyperfemininity is seen as ridiculous and fluid and messy and wet and hypermasculinity is seen as like strong and a rock but what you're doing is you're just challenging everything that people have told you to be you are the sea that is chipping away at the rocks and you're making you're making waves man like you're fucking cool so just go out there and do it so what could the school that you went to have done differently what could they have done to make the playground easier I went to an all-boys religious rugby school, so there's a lot of things they could have done differently. <laughs> I went to want my school, I talk about schooling in general, I think, that schools just need to get a bit gayer. Like, one of the things I always identify is I always say that I'm like a radical faggot because it's just like, that's who I am, I'm like, I'm going to be that challenging person. But schools just need to be more gay, they need to be more queer, and they don't need to be more gay, actually, they need to be more fucking queer, they need to 
open up to the idea that there are children in their playground who aren't straight and aren't cis, and that's not a dangerous thing. I think because, obviously, whenever you talk about kids, you don't want to talk about sex because that's British society for you. But actually, you need to understand that these kids are there and they exist, and the more you push it under the carpet, the more they're going to internalise it. And the more that shit for them and the worst things are going to happen to them, they need to have just have conversations like in PSHE about being queer and not just about, like, oh, sometimes men like men, actually just, like, looking at what gender is and, you know, just putting queer authors in your English class and queer history into your history class and maths is a bit different but you know when you're doing geographies looking at what queer geography is looking at what a gay space is because a gay space or a lesbian space is very different from a straight space just queer up your classroom make it as big and bright and bold and beautiful as you can and you know what it's starting to happen yeah it is yeah my brother has a gay mate now and when I was at school like being any time of queer was like really shit and you were shunned my brother's mate is gay and someone spread a rumour about him so my brother and his friends kicked him out of the group and I was like yes (laughs) it is happening and I just hope it happens more well you'll be on this one and in a totally non-creepy way I'm gonna maybe you can send me some photos but I'll look at your Facebook and I'll draw you yeah I mean the reason I came on this podcast was for you to draw (laughs) Um, I've been waiting for like, every like I always see your like zines and stuff and I'm like do you know what like any time like get out I'm gonna get said to draw me and you're like does anyone do this like actually I'm a straight cisgendered man so I'm just on the show do you have anything that you're working on that you want to shout out like oh yeah I'm working on a design called Tacky which is for everyone who thinks that tacky things are great especially for queer people and women because what we like is often seen as shallow and in poor taste, which is what, what tacky means. So for this is for everyone that's been told that, you know, their love of the Spice Girls or Courtney Love over Kurt Cobain is tacky and ridiculous or makeup or glitter, because it's not. It's just as serious a thing as anything masculine or cisgendered, so come write for me. Yeah. So you can get in contact at tackyzine at gmail.com. T-A-C-K-Y-Z-I-N-E at gmail.com. CJ. Hello. Please introduce yourself. Uh, my name is CJ Bruce. Uh, I'm 26 years old. <laughs> I identify as genderqueer or non-binary, and I use they pronouns. I'm a train driver. So why do you say you identify as non-binary or genderqueer? I know some people have different definitions for the both terms, but I use them interchangeably. I actually personally prefer genderqueer to non-binary, but I know that like a lot of people have issues with the word queer, and um, when I'm not sure like who I'm speaking to or like what their view is on that, then I tend to just say non-binary because I really don't mind either one. But also I know a lot of people prefer genderqueer politically because they don't want to define themselves in relation to a binary, so saying non-binary feels a bit like saying non-male if you're a female. I kind of want to talk a bit about your journey. So when did you first become aware of gender? It's interesting because um, when I was at uni, I vaguely knew what trans was, but all I'd ever seen in the media were kind of jokey trans people, as in like, I'm not saying drag queens are jokey, but it was always drag queens and they were always the butt of the joke. So that's what I thought trans people were for a long time. When I realised I was trans, my doctor actually told me I was trans, which is kind of the opposite of what I think other people's experiences are. I was having a lot of dysphoria around my chest. And um, I went to my doctor to talk about it because it was getting really bad. And he just kind of like referred me to a psychiatrist and I didn't know why. I was just like, okay, maybe this is what you're supposed to do. And then after an hour of speaking to this complete stranger, he was just like, yeah, I I think you're you're transgender. And I was really offended, actually. I was like, how dare you? You don't even know me. (laughs) How dare you say this thing? And then I started going to like youth groups and like meeting other trans people. I'd always like been very androgynous and I always liked not being asked if I was a girl or boy, but I always liked kind of being in the middle and like people not being able to tell. So how has your experience? 
experience been with the medical profession? I think that first experience was really good because a lot of people have the experience of finding out they're trans themselves and then trying to convince the medical profession. So I think my first experience was really good because I was lucky that I had a, a doctor who was knowledgeable enough to know where he needed to refer me to and stuff like that. After that, in terms of medical like transition, I've had top surgery. I've had uh, double mastectomy, like chest surgery. I've also started testosterone, but that's a bit of an issue for me at the moment because I never wanted to start testosterone. My GPs and like other doctors have been great with it. And, uh, you know, if they don't know stuff, they're willing to learn. And they're, you know, they'll be like, I'm going to look this up. I'm going to call you back in two days. And then they do. And that's really great. But the gender identity clinic, which is meant to be the place that is the expert on this, they are terrible. The doctor that I had there last told me that only young people are non-binary and then they grow up and transition properly. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's not cool. Right. And I requested my letter after the appointment. It said, um, CJ prefers the pronouns they but I'm going to go ahead and use he now. And then he uses he for the rest of the letter. And it was just like, why? You, there was no reason to do that. But a lot of them are still very much in the mindset of, you know, back in the days when they wouldn't treat trans women unless they came in wearing like a dress and, you know, makeup and stuff like that. They're very traditional in the way they wanted to do things. So And very binary. Yes, that's very much the way that they think to the extent where I was with the gender identity clinic for three years before I decided to go private and pay for my top surgery myself because after three years, it was still, I need another opinion and another opinion. And it's because I know a lot of non-binary people who go through some sort of medical transition through the NHS find it easier to lie and say that they're binary instead. I didn't find it that easy to do that because I really did not want to take hormones. They even wanted me to change my name to something more masculine. And I was like, I'm not a guy. And also, Mm. I really like my name, CJ. I've been using it since I was seven. Why is it such a rigorous process? Well, I know it's changed a bit since I went through it. Um, But what with me, you had to be referred to a, a psychiatrist or psychologist. I don't actually know the difference. So your GP refers you to them, if your GP even knows what to do. Mm. And then they refer you to the gender identity clinic, who eventually at some point sends you a letter with a first appointment. It took a year and a half from my referral to getting the letter for my first appointment, a year and a half, which is not uncommon. That's standard. And then you go for your first appointment and it's an hour of just like basic questions like tell me about your life and your partners and you know stuff like that. And then you wait six months for your second appointment, which is exactly the same as the first appointment, but with another doctor who has to then confirm what the psychiatrist and the GP and the first doctor has already said. And then they can consider maybe in the next appointment giving, if you're, this is if you're a binary person, giving you hormones. Or, and then in the next appointment, maybe top surgery. But all the appointments are six months or more apart. And so it takes years. And it used to be a requirement, I think it still is, that you had to have lived in your chosen gender identity for a year or two years. And that includes changing your name, which is an issue, especially for non-binary people, because I know people who, for instance, have, have the name Alex, which they're like, oh, that's pretty, like, I'm actually really happy with that name and been told you need to change it. They try to justify it sometimes by by saying that they have to justify spending public funds. It's the NHS, it's for, you know, people who need medical help. And it's life-changing. It is, it's absolutely life-changing. Which is presumably why they're so extensive with it, because I guess they don't want people to say that they want to transition and then wake up the next day being like, actually, no, I don't want to transition today. And so where do you draw the line? Mm. I think it's interesting because I don't disagree with having to see a psychiatrist and stuff like that, because for me, it was really helpful to go through that stuff, especially if there are a lot of kids who identify as trans now which is great because they have the language to and I wish I did and they go through years you know of talking it through and making sure and you know a lot of them don't actually transition by the time they hit the age where they can you know make medical choices for themselves but it's interesting they tend to cite this whole like trans regret like panic and firstly there's such few people who detransition because they've regretted it and even if you speak to the people who have detransitioned Life is full of what ifs some awesome like what if AI could fold your laundry 
and some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. None of them regret transitioning. You mentioned that the first meeting with the psychiatrist or psychologist, they ask you about your partners. Mm -hmm. How much do you think your gender identity has to do with your sexual orientation? Gender identity has absolutely nothing to do with, with uh, sexual orientation. Yeah, they sometimes ask really weird questions like how you like to have sex, which is they should not ask that, but they do. How invasive. It's very invasive. It's really weird, actually. You know, sometimes people say, why is LGBT? Why? Mm -hmm. And you can add a lot of letters to the end. But yeah. for example, LGBT, which is about sexual orientation and gender identity. Mm -hmm. Why is that one acronym? Like the way I feel about it is most gender identity and sexual orientated, like most homophobic and transphobic crimes stem from misogyny. The reason that we even have an acronym and the reason we have communities is because we face oppression and also we face hardships from the outside world. And so that's the only reason a community sticks together, really, is to become strong, stronger and give power to themselves. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to phrase it right, but when someone attacks someone for being gay, it doesn't matter to them if they're gay or trans or bi. What they're seeing is something in that person that they don't like. It doesn't matter to them what you personally identify as. How does this compare to identifying as a person of colour? It's definitely different. I would never have to advocate someone hiding who they are, but at the same time I can't hide that I'm black and there's stereotypes about black people that aren't gonna go away you know society has changed in that um, racism is a lot less in your face but in a way that is just you know the subtleties in inverted commas are are just as hard because when people make jokes like black people are, are lazy and black people are always late which is stuff that I, I hear people I know make jokes about and they don't understand like you might think I'm being oversensitive but when I go into a job interview and I'm up against four white people with maybe the same maybe a little bit less qualifications than me those little jokes these little stereotypes these are the things that affect stuff like that being LGBT that's something that people can assume about me if they think I, I, I you know my gender presentation is different than what they would like it to be but they won't know that about me but with being a person of colour, like, there's no hiding it. 
So I kind of want to take it back to your cultural heritage. When did you move to England? I moved to England when I was 14. 14? Okay, so where were you born? I was born in Trinidad and Tobago. So Uh, did you have any thoughts about your gender when you were in Trinidad and Tobago? It's interesting. I didn't have thoughts about being trans. Well, at the time I came out as a lesbian uh, when I was 12 in Trinidad, which at the time maybe wasn't the best idea. My family weren't very accepting at all. Um, It just wasn't a very good time. But I grew up being very angry about being a girl. I did not see myself as a girl. And it wasn't that I hated girls or anything like that. I just did not understand why I was being referred to as one. And so I expressed that from a very young age and I very quickly learned to not express that. But I, I have this really like vivid memory of a day in school. And, you know, in school, we have to wear skirts. So I used to wear really, really long skirts. Just to, I didn't want to wear a skirt. And it was after school and I was just ranting about it. And um, my classmate asked me, like, do you think you want to be a boy so much because you like girls? And I was really baffled by that because at the time I hadn't linked gender identity and sexual orientation. I wasn't even thinking in those words. But to me, my not feeling like a girl had nothing to do with the fact that I I didn't even know I liked girls yet. And so when I found out I did, I thought, oh, maybe this is why. Because I I didn't know what being trans was. So I thought maybe I don't like being a girl because I like girls and then I can just be a lesbian and I can be butchered. It'd be great. I used to do stuff. I went to Bible camp like twice a year. (laughs) And the first time I went, I put on a backwards cap. I let them think I was a boy for the first day or so until we had to go to our dorms. And then I got into a lot of trouble. (laughs) I got kicked out of class once because the teacher asked, what does everyone want to be when they grow up? And I said I wanted to be a dad, which I meant. I didn't, I wasn't trying to be funny, but I think she thought I was being an idiot. Is this something where education from schools could have Mm -hmm. come into play that we need to see more trans history and trans education in schools yeah that would be great i think like gender intelligence who i volunteer with they do stuff like going to schools and have workshops and stuff like that and when the newspaper shows it they tend to present it as like trans people are going into school and teaching kids how to be trans and it's it's really not that it's you know like we have workshops on gender and what gender means whether or not you identify as trans we'll say you know what does it mean to you that you're a girl like has anybody ever told you that you can't do something because you're a boy or you know Mm. stuff like that and we get them to think more about our stereotypes and our, our gender roles and then if that means that a young trans kid has the language to say that they're trans at 8 as opposed to at 27 then that's great it sounds like the kind of the same reaction to when section 28 was created where you weren't allowed to promote homosexuality in schools and that's really had a huge effect on how teachers talk about LGBT people in schools yeah. but you know just learning about LGBT it's not going to turn you it's that's like not when you have works. people come in and like tell you about why drugs are bad it's not going <laughs> to then immediately make you into like a heroin addict, is it? Like... Backwards thinking. Tavistock Centre, which deals with kids under 18 or 16, I think, who are having issues with gender. And they look at stuff like referrals have definitely gone up a lot in the last few years. But that's definitely, that's a good thing. You know, it's not because there are more trans people on TV returning kids trans. It just means that people know what they are from younger on. They have the language to explain what they are. And they have things that they could point to to say this, I'm like this. Mm. And so maybe as opposed to trying really hard to hide themselves all the way through their lives and then figuring it out at a later age when it might be harder for them. It just means that they can try to figure it out early on. And if they go to the Tavistock and they're not trans, like that's okay too. At least they've had the chance to explore that. I was listening to Women's Hour on Radio 4 and they had the Tavistock Centre mm-hmm. on yeah. and they were talking about how the number of referrals for young people had gone up. So before there were more people who were assigned male at birth mm-hmm. who were coming in. And now it's like overwhelmingly 
people who were assigned female at birth mm-hmm. wanting to transition to some extent, but not necessarily transition to a boy mm-hmm. or a man. What frustrated me about the recording is that they kept referring to them as girls, which they're almost definitely yes, not. <laughs> yeah. um, there were comments on perhaps that maybe it's easier for people assigned female mm-hmm. to present as more tomboy. Okay, so I'm not an expert. I mean, it's worth mentioning that definitely the number of people who were assigned male at birth, the numbers of referrals haven't gone down for them, but it's definitely gone up for people who were assigned female at birth. And I see and I hear lesbian friends talk about stuff like, oh, there's no more butchers anymore because they're all transitioning. People were fine being butchers before and now they're all trans men. And it's like, no, that's really not the case. But what I think is if you're a parent and you have a kid who is expressing anxiety around gender, then parents know where to go now. And so, yeah, I mean, it definitely is still more acceptable in society to be a tomboyish girl than to be a feminine boy. And so, as I said, not all the kids who are referred to to Tavistock end up transitioning. In in fact, quite a lot of them don't. When I first started figuring out my transness, I was like, okay, I'm not female, so I must be male. And for a while, I thought I had to transition to male. I didn't know what non-binary was. So I asked people to try out he pronouns for me. And it felt less uncomfortable than female pronouns, but still uncomfortable. And so the first time I met someone who used gender neutral pronouns like they, I thought, oh, this is what I asked people to try that out. And then that felt felt perfect. It felt it felt like me. And one of the things we need to implement in work and schools and in general is stuff like dress codes. A lot of workplaces are getting better with trans stuff in general, but usually binary trans stuff. So it's the kind of atmosphere of we'll give you space to transition from this to this. And once you're successfully this and you're you're successfully in a suit with short hair or you're successfully in a dress with makeup, then we'll pretend it never happened. Workplaces are a lot less confident with, you know, maybe someone who has facial hair and male characteristics, I guess, who comes in dressed like wearing makeup. I mean, gender's a spectrum. It's not male genderqueer female. Even people who are cisgender might be a little bit nearer to the middle. Isn't it wonderful that life isn't as simple as, you know, when you were born and you were told that there are boys and girls and that's it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, if you pick two women on the street and ask them what being a woman means to them, it will never be the same. Gender's a very personal thing. It doesn't mean the same for everybody. So just because two people identify as the same thing, they could be vastly different in dress sense and likes and how they feel about their gender. And so to say that there are th- two things you can be or even three things or even five things you can be like gender's a part of your personality and no two people have the same gender I feel like saying you know boom (laughs) (laughs) yeah drops mic (laughs) (laughs) you mentioned going to church yeah and this was in Trinidad and Tobago yes so what's it like being non-binary or genderqueer and having faith what is your faith I'm a Christian I I don't really have any denomination because I grew up in Pentecostal churches, like, you know, happy, clappy black churches. (laughs) And I still very much feel very comfortable in in those environments. But I can't think of a particular strain of Christianity that I agree with everything they say. So I almost am Christian culturally because to me, like, I might not believe that all the stories are true. And I don't know if dinosaurs were a thing. I like to think they were because they're kind of (laughs) cool and stuff like that. Um, I don't know if I believe that the world was created in seven days, but it might have been. Those things aren't really important to me, but the stories that I grew up with are Bible stories and I I learned a lot of my morals from that. I try to live by the way I see in the Bible. How was it finding a community that you felt comfortable expressing your faith in and your faith? So before I identified as trans or before I knew what trans was when I was still at uni, I was trying to find a church that would accept me as a lesbian or as, as gay. I remember I went to, there was this like really like studenty church with like loads of like electric guitars and like TV screens all over the place for absolutely no reason just showing the name of the church kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> like 
like and they were very like yeah let's get all the students and so I went there and I was like yeah this place rocks like these people would totally be cool uh, and then some people saw me holding hands with my girlfriend at the time on the bus and all of a sudden they weren't my friends on Facebook anymore and people were being weird with me and so I was like no this surely this can't be you know an issue so I sent off an email to the student pastor guy I just asked him like hey this is me this is a bit about my story is this something that's going to be an issue and he sent me like this like really chirpy email being like hey CJ we really love having you I hope you still come we're the kind of church where like we like to think anyone can come maybe you won't be able to participate in any of the services or deal with the young people but we want you here like you get this from a lot of churches that say they're accepting and what they actually mean is no you can totally come and sit down and then learn how to change and that's not (laughs) really what I was going for then I went to the chapel on campus which I never even considered like setting foot in it until my second year and they were amazing they didn't just say we're okay with who you are they were very much encouraging me to be comfortable with who I was and this is who you are that's fine like that's how God made you we love you because of it I grew up in Trinidad and um, when I was in church there most people I knew got baptised at around age 8 and I remember my mum saying to me a lot do you want to do the baptism thing and especially since I knew that I was queer from a young age I'd always I felt guilty about it I, it took me a long time to realise that there was nothing wrong with me and so I'd kind of made a pact with myself I actually remember the day I said I like prayed and I was like okay I'm not going to get baptised until I either reconcile this or change it And so I kind of just stuck with that my whole life. And so when I went to this chapel at uni and I finally found a place that helped me realise that actually, like, who I was is perfect. And then I I got baptised at uni, which was a really big deal. I invited my mum. So you invited your mum to your baptism. Yeah. What's your relationship like with your family now? Because you said at first coming out as a lesbian in Trinidad and Tobago, Mm -hmm. it was a little bit difficult. It was a hard time. Yeah, uh, with my family, it's a bit odd. I say that I'm male with my extended family. I mean, my mum only just for the first time met one of my partners 14 years after I first came out to her you know that is a huge step so it takes them a while yeah. to get used to things I think it's easier for my family if they can see me as one thing or another I think the concept of non-binary they don't understand and also they don't want to try to understand because they don't want to be seen as encouraging me which yeah. it sounds really terrible like I'm really grateful that they're even trying at all and mm. it's not that my bar is set really low it's just that it's a lot that they're even trying so when I moved here I didn't go back to Trinidad for a long time I had a horrible time at school I had a horrible time with my family all of Trinidad is horrible so I went to a camp which is I'll travel the website like they do a camp every year and it was amazing and I met someone there who was from Trinidad and I thought I, can, I think I kind of thought oh okay they were probably born in Trinidad and now they live in America because they're at queer camp so why would they, there's no queers in Trinidad and then I met them and they were like no yeah I live in Trinidad and I my mind was blown I was like what there are queers in Trinidad I went back and it really isn't the case like I went to a gay club I didn't know there were gay clubs in Trinidad mm-hmm. there's a gay club it was right in the centre of town just we did karaoke I was <laughs> that was a huge deal for me I just didn't know and so it's really good because I feel like even though it was only a year ago like I, I feel like I've reclaimed a bit of my identity that I've been pushing away for a, a long time because I, you grow up being told you can't be Christian and queer you can't be black and queer you can't be Trinidadian and queer like people people don't do these things and Yes, I can. A lot of what you talked about taps into representation, you know, not knowing that you could be trans, not knowing what being trans meant, mm-hmm. not knowing about um, non-binary or genderqueer, and then the idea of the spaces that existed in Trinidad and Tobago. Mm-hmm. So when we're Googling famous non-binary people to be able to try and kind of explain it, mm-hmm. pretty much everybody on the list is white. Yeah. What are your two cents about representation? You know, I've done stuff with Channel 4, but I never wanted to get into being in the media or anything like that. But when I grew up, there weren't any people like me on anywhere on TV. I'm really happy that trans is being talked about more and non-binary is being talked about more in the media, but it's still overwhelmingly white, which is really 
interesting because most of the non-binary people I know are, are people of colour. And, and maybe that's just because my friend group includes a lot of people of colour. And so I think I often say yes to things because I think if at least one person sees this and think, oh, like it has someone they could point to and be like, that's me. There were things I didn't even know I could be or do because I just thought it was a white thing. Like what? What, what would you been one of those things. Okay, so even if you take out being trans in the media, white people can be jocks or geeks or cool or socially awkward and black people can be black and that's it. Their characters never have much depth. Right, they don't have much depth. Their storyline is that they're black. These people grew up with this idea as well. There were a lot of things that were like, that's a white people thing. Like, you listen to rock music, that's a white people thing. You, mm. you know, you like to wear these clothes, that's, you, you can't do that, that's, that's a white people thing. So when I came out as queer, that was a white people thing, definitely. Being trans was a white people thing. You know, and even the fact that like, I used to get called an Oreo because I'm black on the outside but on the inside like it's something that people say jokingly but you internalise it because they say it so often it's the meaning behind it is you have to act this way and this way only because this is how we act I keep hearing people say you can't be what you can't see and I love that because it's it's so true. When I illustrate the guests, I'm always really nervous. Mm-hmm. I wasn't really sure how to do shade or colour on it, so I, I kind of just avoid it. And when I showed <laughs> CJ theirs, CJ was like, this is really great, but I'd really like it if you tried to do some shades. So thank you for pushing me because <laughs> now the picture looks so much more kick-ass and it just shows the diversity <laughs> of the guests even better. It's because I used to draw myself a lot. I used to draw myself as a superhero and I would never shade myself in because I had issues being black. I didn't want to be black. People on TV weren't black. Cool people weren't black. And so I used to draw myself as a superhero, but I would never shade myself myself in and I remember the first time I decided to to try it and I hated looking at it and I mm. you know it took me a while to kind of deconstruct that and unpack that and so now I've kind of consciously I've tried to color myself in no and you're totally right too and the reason actually I'd kind of avoided doing it was because once I did it and somebody really didn't like it oh really and it really upset them so I ended up doing it very differently yeah but you're right representation is important yeah it's important <laughs> to just have the option so what's it been like to have your journey been so public facing you know you've had yeah. you've your youtube channel mm-hmm. you were on that channel for short yeah what's that been like the youtube channel was when i got top surgery i wanted to document that i didn't want to make the videos private but at the same time i was like eh, nobody knows who i am on youtube nobody's gonna watch <laughs> watch my videos the thing with channel four so there's the short documentary with me and my sister which was filmed by Fox and Lewis, who do My Generation and a bunch of other projects where they let trans people tell their own stories, which I think is really important because we have our stories told for us so often. So Fox and Lewis have been doing this series of documentaries and my sister and I were in it and we talked about me being trans and me being non-binary and changing my name on like all my documents. And I liked it a lot because I mentioned my top surgery, but it wasn't like the focus of the show. And this is why the stuff by Fox and Lewis is so great. It's amazing, yeah. You because... get to choose how you tell your story. Yes. And I get to, again, like even stuff like they let me see it before they put it out there, like the same thing that you guys do with this. When people say that, I instantly relax because it means that I'm in charge of telling my story and someone else isn't trying to tell my story for me. Are you comfortable talking about hormones yeah. on this? Yeah. So you mentioned that you're currently on testosterone yeah. and you never wanted to be? Yeah, that's an issue I'm dealing with at the moment. Yeah, I never wanted to be on testosterone, which is the main reason that I paid for my top surgery myself. I think the path that the NHS wanted me to take was change name, take testosterone, have, have surgery, be a man. And that wasn't me. Where I work, it's kind of an old boys club. So when I started this job, I wasn't on testosterone. And most of the time I was still being read as male, maybe a really young male. But sometimes people read me as female and I would correct them and 
they their first thought isn't trans. It was, you know, like, oh, I got this wrong. It's a really girly boy. I don't know. But there was one person who knew that I was trans and kind of made a point of kept using she pronouns and telling people. And I, I've never wanted to hide my transness before, but being read as male most of the time there, I was privy, I guess, to conversations that I wouldn't have been privy to before. And the way I hear them talk about other trans people, I've never been in, you know, like a, oh, lads, lads, lads. I, I, <laughs> I'm not used to that culture. And being thrown into it, I started having panic attacks again, you know, about people finding out. So I said I'd start taking testosterone for a little bit just to maybe I get read as male 90% of the time as opposed to 70% of the time. And it's been kind of difficult in a weird way because I'm read as male 100% of the time now but I don't identify as male. And my relationship with my family is way better now. If they can see me as male and they can see that other people see me as male, then they try harder to use CJ as my name instead of my birth name, or they try because it's awkward in public for them to be saying she, but I still don't identify as male. And so it's weird because my life is better. I feel like maybe people on the outside see me as more how I see myself, but I don't. Like when I look back at pictures of before testosterone, that's who I am. That's how I feel most myself. And so I'm in this really weird place at the moment where it's freaking me out a bit. It feels like I'm not being myself. And so even though life is a lot easier, I feel like a different person. So I'm going to stop taking them soon, I think. But I might be transferring locations at my job soon. And this is what I'm hoping. If I go in there and people establish me as male in their minds already, then hopefully when I stop taking testosterone and maybe if my body fat like redistribute, you know, people aren't going to suddenly think I'm female or anything like that. It sounds like a really tough position to be in because you know who you are but actually what's happening is society's attitudes are so ingrained that even if people are, you know, if if I was to chat to them about it they'd probably be like, yeah, yeah, I'm on board. But then when it actually comes down to the conversations you have in the locker room or the pronoun that you use without even thinking because you're referring to Mm -hmm. someone. I'm really, I'm always really grateful when my friends try hard, like the next time they see me they'll be like, say, I got this, which I'm really, really grateful for because it shows that they're trying really hard to show that they understand me. And, and to relate to me. Ashley, please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Ashley. I'm a trans activist from the University of York and an aspiring filmmaker. Last year, I wrote a petition to the government about self-definition of legal gender and non-binary identities. And then I ended up speaking at Parliament later that year as well. That's amazing. That's so cool. I didn't know that. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So what led you to start to write the petition in the first place? So the petition site came up and it was at the same time as the Republic of Ireland announced that they were going to introduce a system of self-definition. And that system wasn't perfect. So you can write in and you can say, I identify as male, I identify as female, and they'll just change it without a panel assessing you. Mm. But they they don't have non-binary recognition yet, which is something that I added on to my petition. So you asked for the, for the UK? No, Great Britain. It's strange because laws are different in the different countries and in fact Scotland is about to to change their laws on gender recognition. Nicola Sturgeon has just announced that they're going to introduce non-binary recognition which is really exciting. My petition was asking for that to be standard in the UK. So then what did you speak about at Parliament? So they invited me there to talk about trans rights and how they relate to the law. So I was there to talk about the Gender Recognition Act, the Same Sex Marriage Act, data protection. Basically, I was there to say we really need a system gender recognition that doesn't rely upon a bunch of cis people assessing whether or not they believe you. And we need a system of gender recognition that actually recognises everyone's genders and doesn't just try to force everyone into one of two boxes or three if you're lucky. 
The Gender Recognition Act, can you explain a little bit about what that is, how it works, and also whether or not it is inclusive of non-binary identities? The Gender Recognition Act, it was passed in 2004, and it created a system where there's a gender recognition panel, which I'm not aware of any trans people being on, and that panel will receive all of the applications for a gender transition so that's just for male and female identities and you can't you can't opt to have any kind of non-binary or gender neutral marker there's no legal recognition for that this is about changing your gender as recognized by law um you have to get a panel of people who've never met you and probably definitely have never identified as trans or anything to say that they believe you yeah exactly and it's very inaccessible for a a whole host of reasons. I mean, it's very difficult for a lot of trans people to get to gender clinics to see these specialists who can provide the medical evidence you need because there's no gender clinic in Wales Mm. and everyone in Wales gets sent to London. So that And then that costs money. Yeah. The problem with a lot of the gender clinics is that because the NHS doesn't have any budget, they end up leaving you on a waiting list for months lead you can end up waiting for five years oh my gosh this is just so that you can be identified with a gender that you identify with yeah and you have to go through all of that it will at least take you two years but there are there are so many reasons why people just can't access this and i would never access this because there's no recognition for me and i'd feel like it was all pointless if i was changing my gender to something that i also didn't think was right so how do you identify i identify as a demi girl but just sort of more generally i would say i'm non-binary I feel that I kind of have a on-off relationship with the word woman and that's something that I identify with a lot more at some times than others and my pronouns kind of change accordingly. I kind of tell people to use they mostly. So you said, was it demigirl? Yeah. Can you explain that a little bit more? So it's a, it's a trans identity on the feminine side of gender expression and it sort of identifying with femininity and perhaps sometimes words like woman and girl, but it's still a sort of distinct, separate identity. And how I see it is that I don't always go out of my way to express myself in a feminine way. I don't really try to express masculinity that often, but I also don't feel entirely attached to being a woman or being feminine. When did you first become aware of gender then? I think I was very uncomfortable with my gender from a young age. It wasn't so much that I had a good idea of what I identified as. It was more that everyone told me that I was a boy and I didn't agree with that. So I had some conversations when I was only five or six with people saying, I just don't feel like I fully fit into this category. And I I liked some of women's clothes and I never really got into sports or any of those other kind of conventional male activities. So that does mean that I just became uncomfortable. And it took me really until I was about 16 to actually find anything out about trans identity because there's no education about it and there's no media about it. There certainly wasn't any media about it when I was a child. And was that because you had to actively go out and do your own research on it or did you find yourself in like a community or like friends of people who identified as trans Um, or? So what happened was that I became confused about my sexuality as well as my gender and I found that as I hit puberty I became more and more interested in boys and so that was really distressing and 
that was its own thing for a few years and I kind of I started to look that up and I eventually just found out about trans stuff going through gay forums and stuff like that and so then pretty much the moment that I started looking into trans stuff and specifically the moment that I found out that hormones were a thing I was like yep that's me I want to do that give me hormones please but then when I first came out as trans when I was 16 I was sort of identifying as a trans woman and that lasted until I was 20 and it was only when I was 20 and I got to uni and I started talking to a lot of non-binary people who I met here as a part of Create the Trans Network that we made last year that I began to question whether I felt that I was actually non-binary as well. So what kind of legal recognition would you ideally like to see in this country for non-binary identities? There are two things that I'd like to see and these the first one is that I would like to see at bare minimum a other category so when you apply for legal recognition and there shouldn't be any panel or anything like that the application process should be sending a letter but when you apply for that you can say that you're male female or other but I think that the ideal would be that this wasn't even a category that we monitor legal gender I don't think that legal gender is a useful characteristic about anyone I don't think it says anything about anyone particularly. And I think that there are a lot of arguments about this and about medical implications of getting rid of recorded gender. And it's more complicated than that because what you're talking about when you're talking about gender is people's hormones and people's chromosomes and the way that they develop. And trans and intersex people kind of prove that that's not always how things work, that it's not as simple as just male or female. So you would like to see no records of gender at all? I think that legal gender as a concept should not exist. I don't think that it is something that should be recorded at birth and made into a, a legal identifier. I think it's different in healthcare, as I said. But Why would you prefer gender to not be on legal documents or not to be n- noted down when someone's born? Well, I think that assigning someone a gender at birth is inherently oppressive, that that is something that we should strive not to do because trying to like force a gender onto someone when they have no concept of gender is kind of it's really pointless. Right, so it's more of a, how can you impose a gender on someone who doesn't even know themselves yet, basically? Yeah, yeah. So then what what do you think is the biggest misconception of trans people or non-binary people? I think the biggest misconception is definitely the performativity and the expectations that people place upon trans people, like they expect them to be hyper-feminine or hyper-masculine, that they expect trans women to wear makeup and they expect trans men to have top surgery and all of those kinds of things. None of this is important to being trans. None of this is important to being non-binary. Gender expression is very different to gender identity and someone can express themselves in any way they want. So which pronouns do you use? Use they, did you say? Yeah, I use they and she. I like to kind of give they out to people now. And that's what I have on sort of biographies online and stuff like that. But I feel comfortable with people who know me closely using she, especially trans people. Does that change from day on day? Or is your gender identity quite fixed? It definitely does change day to day. I sometimes feel a lot more androgynous. And when I do feel like that, I might feel uncomfortable being called she. But the majority of the time, I'm definitely leaning leaning towards the feminine end. 
So what should people do to find out which pronoun you prefer on the day? I think it never hurts to ask, basically. If someone is expressing differently to how they might, you know, it might be appropriate in that circumstance to ask if they're sort of identifying differently on a certain day. But you don't always need to ask. If you get a pronoun wrong, a, a trans person could correct you. And, you know, corrections aren't inherently bad. It's not bad to get it wrong. It's bad to misgender someone deliberately, you know. Have you ever experienced a time when people have just not understood why you use the pronouns that you use? Ultimately, it kind of comes down to you don't necessarily need to get it. It's a basic respect thing. You wouldn't misgender a cis person. It's quite rare to see someone refer to a a cis woman as as he to kind of insult them. It does just come down to respect and respecting the way that people want to be treated. I would, in a lot of circumstances, try to explain that gender-neutral pronouns, that they're normal, they have been in the English language for a long time, and that they're very common in other languages as well. But I kind of find that a lot of people who have expressed stuff like, oh, I just don't get this, or... Why do you call me transphobic if I misgender you like continuously? I've got very low patience for that. And it's something that I kind of try to tell people like, please just learn this or I can't really be around you because what you're doing is an act of violence, whether you mean it that way or not. What's the best way for institutions to deal with harassment on in terms of um, people's pronouns? Because that's what you're talking about. Misgendering someone has to be considered in the same way that you would consider any kind of insult or personal attack on, on, on someone. It's a very kind of personal attack on someone because they are trans, because they are different, because they identify in a way that someone doesn't understand, doesn't like. Have you ever found yourself in abusive situations where people have been awful? or abusive because of your gender presentation? I find that nowadays I tend to pass quite well, but also a huge amount of the time people just mistake me for a man and don't notice anything about it because I've been out as trans for five or six years. And I would say that I've only worn makeup and done stuff like that for about two of those years. There have been a lot of occasions where people have just looked at me and thought that's a man addressed with he pronouns, addressed with sir, all of that type of stuff. And I've very rarely come into people who have specifically kind of gone after me because of the way that I look. I have had people come after me because of my pronouns, definitely. And especially since I started using gender neutral pronouns. Which is so um, strange because it's got nothing to do with them. They're your, mm, your pronouns. Although how yeah. do you identify? It was strange to kind of start to incorporate gender neutral pronouns because the immediate reaction was I saw some people saying stuff like, what first you want to call, we, we want us to call you she and now you want us to call you they. And people mocking me for not being content with being called she and I just couldn't, I couldn't deal with that. Could you explain quickly what the difference is between gender identity and gender presentation? Gender identity is innate. That is something that is personal to you. And unless unless you were to say that to someone else, no one would know what your gender identity is. Your gender expression, on the other hand, is an outward thing. It's how the clothes that you wear and whether those are masculine, feminine, androgynous, whether you wear makeup, how you do your hair, stuff like that. Do the way people retaliate or react to you and the pronouns that you use change depending on what you're wearing? 
I think that the circles that I mix with, I very rarely have these problems with. So I, I very rarely come into contact with non-LGBTQ people in real life because I'm a disabled trans person and I just don't get out of the house very much. So when I do, I'm usually going to a place of study or uh, an LGBTQ group or event. So people's reactions have actually been exactly what they should be, polite and asking which pronoun you prefer to use and, and using it. Yeah, I've not had too many difficulties in real life. It's been very different for me online, but at the same time, I've not really been mixing with the types of people who have caused me problems, so I, I just wouldn't know. Yeah, you'd avoid them, of course. Would it be too intrusive to ask what uh, your disability is? I have undiagnosed fatigue issue. Right at the start of last year, I just started to have difficulty walking and I found that my left leg could no longer support my weight and slowly that kind of spread to the rest of my body and I could no longer move at times. I can't always get up out of bed. I certainly can't leave the house very often. I can't even really go to the shop now. Wow, so it's quite debilitating then. And it happened quite quickly if it was only this time last year. It was very fast. What's it like having two identities that are both kind of rooted in change, I suppose, because you transitioned? Mm. I don't know, am I assuming there? You were assigned a sex at birth, and then that's not the yeah. one that you identify with. And so you've gone on some journey in terms of either the way you dress or the pronouns you choose. And then there's also your, your disability, which has developed over the past year. So... What's it? Are there any similarities or any any differences? Or there have been a lot of very similar things I've noticed. Really, like so, for instance, in medicine, I've noticed that people are treating me exactly the same way that they treat me for being trans, just for being disabled. I'm finding it very difficult to convince doctors that I am having these issues with fatigue and with pain. Does this come into play with the social model of disability and the idea that? as opposed to the medical model. So you are not disabled. It is that society is not able to support you to be able to do things in a way that it should. And that's could that same model be applied to um, gender identity in that we grow up in a society which forces you to choose one of two boxes? Actually, to be in one of the two boxes, if you want to change, you're kicking up the status quo. And if you wanted to be neither of those two boxes, you're still kicking up the status quo. What do you think? bullshit yeah, or <laughs> I, I think it no i think it's a good comparison it, it's very much a case of there's nothing strange about being disabled and there's nothing strange about being trans or non-binary it's just that people are not willing to accommodate or are not ready to accommodate or whatever we never asked you what happened to your petition did it pass um i'm guessing no because so, i would have heard about it <laughs> so petition Petitions don't have a way to make it into law. What happens is if a petition reaches 10,000 signatures, the government has to respond to it. And if it reaches 100,000, government have to debate it. But that debate doesn't actually result in a vote. What? Um, so then what's the point in debating it then if it's not going to go anywhere? Well, effectively, because it's so difficult to get debate in Parliament, this is the one of the very few ways that you can ensure that a subject does get discussed in one way. And then the assumption would be, if there was a productive discussion in Parliament, that that would then result in a change in the law later down the line. What happened to my petition was 
I think in the first day it reached 10,000 signatures. Oh my gosh. Yay! Wildfire. Yeah. <laughs> so I got my response from the government. I got a response from the Ministry of Justice, who actually caused a bit of a trans rights crisis with their response. They responded to what I said about non-binary identities with the line, we are aware of no specific detriment to identifying as non-binary. And they said that non-binary identities are not covered by the Equality Act, which people previously believed. So what the Ministry of Justice did in their response was actually make trans rights worse. Typical. Um, so currently there terrible. is no law that protects non-binary people at all? No. No legal recognition and, and no protection under the law. You'd have to just say that you're trans. You'd have to pretend to be binary. So this might sound like a stupid question, but what, what kind of protection are we talking like what what protection do I get as a cisgendered woman that you don't get as a non-binary person? So we're talking about protection from especially workplace discrimination, but also things like harassment and stuff like that come into the Equality Act. And it's got to be remembered that the Equality Act isn't just important for what it does in the law. It lays out a set of characteristics that everyone uses in their equality and diversity guidelines. So we have a situation like here at York where they also don't have a non-binary category. They have gender reassignment, the same as the Equality Act. It eventually reached 35,000 signatures. Mm. How do you do that? Like, how do you get 35,000 people to sign something? That's amazing. Your I name is Ashley Reed. That's yeah. what you would do. <laughs> I posted it on my personal Facebook. Ten of my friends signed it. I tweeted about it and it just blew up. And wow. it just kind of... So it's clearly something that's needed. Yeah, it just went viral. Do you think um, the internet has had a role in shaping non and exploring non-binary identities? Yeah, I think people rag on, on Tumblr a lot. But that community has been very important i think in, in in formulating what we understand as as non-binary now it is a very new concept well no this isn't true so there have been people who haven't identified as male and female in the past it's just that the kind of model that we have of non-binary identities now where we have a lot of different labels and we have you know concepts about masculine and and, and feminine and gender identity versus gender expression i think a, a lot of that is very new so we're talking in the kind of past 10 years or so. Do you have any advice that you would like to give to a younger Ashley? I would tell myself in the past that I should definitely kind of prod my mum with all of this gender stuff. My mum is a nurse and she's been amazingly supportive throughout the entire process, kind of from day one. She's been great. And I would try to talk to doctors about it as soon as possible because um, ideally I would have liked to have been on hormone blockers throughout my teen years and avoid that whole puberty thing that was terrible. Thank you very much for coming on, Ashley. Do you have anything that Thank you'd you. like to shout about or another petition you'd like us to sign you'd want to uh, share? Do you know what, actually? There's a magazine called Beyond the Binary, which is currently accepting donations so that they can afford to pay marginalised non-binary writers for the next year. So they're talking about giving out sort of about £20 per article to people from people who are BME or AMAB people or disabled non-binary people. Um, and it, it's a really fantastic website. They were 
amazing in covering the petition and all of the no specific detriment stuff. They were great. What does AMAB mean? Assigned mail at birth. Okay. Cool. Thank you. <laughs> Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.